God, we love you and we thank you again for this opportunity. As we uh, get into your word, I pray that it meets us where we are. Especially on the topic that we're going to talk about today. I pray that, that we don't rob you. And as we, we talk about your word to your people, let it meet us. Maybe today's just an encouragement to keep doing the very things that I've been doing, to live the way, to bring, to give the way that I've been doing. Maybe today is an informative, I'm going to learn something new about God's economy and his world and, and what he desires for my life. And then maybe it's just conviction. It's conviction to, to act. So may your word meet us today, God. We love you. We ask these things in your son's name. Amen. Uh, all right, I also have on my notes to, before we get into the sermon, I'll pray. And I'll just trade straight into that. Um, but Dave and Paula Evans closed on their house. I talked to Dave um, yesterday. He was super excited because he bought like a zero-turn mower. It's the first one he's ever had. And he's like, he's like, man, I actually got a yard I can use this thing in. So like, it wasn't about grandkids and seeing grandkids. The reason he's moving up there is about, hey, I got to cut grass on my mower. It was awesome. So. They are moving. Uh, the house is closed. Offer on this house. Uh, August 30th is the day that they need help loading up. I know that's midweek, and most of you are responsible and have like real jobs where you have to, you know, answer to other people. We understand all that stuff. However, if you're free, August 30th, I don't even know what day it is, but it, it, I know it's midweek. It, if you're available, you know, maybe you come throw a pillow or something. They would love and appreciate the help. All right. Well, today's the last day. Uh, we wrap up this series on messengers. We have gone through all the minor prophets uh, so far, and, and I appreciate those of you that have, have filled in in my absence on some things. And uh, we, we've checked this off the, uh, off the list of things that we need to preach on, and, and, and we're going to come back to this in the future. Like, I've already started diving into some things for. for next year and the year after that, that as it pertains to uh, these messengers, these, these men who God used to give to people, not just his people, but to all people, this message of his love. And so we wrap it up today with Malachi. Now here's the thing, when you think Malachi, you gotta think that these are the last words that God spoke to his people for 400 plus years. Now they didn't know that, you know, it's not like, hey, this is the last thing I got to say, and I'm going radio silent, right? No, no, no. We know that because we've studied it, and we know this is it. Now, you think about it in your world. Man, the last words we say in, in parting ways, when we know that, that we're leaving, it usually carries a little more, a little more weight. It usually carries a little more sincerity. Doesn't when 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 I'm getting in the car, Griffin got in the car and uh, he went to work Thursday. And he's, he's like, "Hey, I'm going with my girlfriend down to Auburn, and uh, he's going to be there all weekend. They've got uh, one of girlfriend's sisters graduating and all that kind of stuff. And uh, and, and this is like, you got to go to class there. You don't just have to drive down the main street and they throw a diploma in the window like at some other schools. And I'm just kidding, I'm not going there. Uh, man, what did Mama say? Man, you better believe Mama was like, okay, baby, I love you. Please be careful. 
you know, make sure you represent Jesus well, and, 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 and please be careful, and don't do anything, you know, stupid, and, and please be careful. Like, I mean, she, I love you, I love you. Like, like those words from her mouth to him, there's a little sincerity there. Now, he's a 20-year-old young man, but, uh -huh, yeah, whatever, okay, okay, okay. Right? He's just like the audience that God is using Malachi to convey the message to. Man, there's, there's some sincerity there. And these are the last things. And in this book, Malachi, uh, his message from God to the people, it, it covers basically, if you will, six disputes. All right? God's like, man, I've got some things against y'all. Like, like this is the, the, the last message coming out of the exile. We, we, we've already talked about the other two prophets that God used. And then Malachi is like, man, God's got six things. First off, he wants you to know that he has a tremendous amount of love for his children. Then, then he wants the people to know about their worship. Your worship is not pleasing to me. And, and then he has this against them. You're, you're wandering away from me, and you're starting to dabble again with some of these false idols. And then he gets into marriage. Some pretty sound marital advice. And he goes from marriage to money. And, and, I'll, and I'll show you something that's very interesting in between, sandwiched in between marriage and money, is it, the gospel. And then the sixth dispute is just this overall keeping God's law. Like, if I haven't covered it with the other five, you're missing it over here, too, with some of these other things. And so last year, as we're working through this series on messengers, we planned that today would be about, it would, today would be one of three sermons this year on money. Now, for those of you who think all the church talks about is money, well, you've only come to three Sundays so far. I mean, you've got to come a little more often to realize that, that, that we talk about other things. And just so you know, Jesus talked about money either as an illustration or how to steward it or how to view money. 30% of what is recorded in the New Testament from Jesus, it has something to do with money. Now, here's the thing with money. It's not bad. It reveals problem areas in our lives, though. Money itself is not the problem. But money reveals problems. In church, there's a problem. Malachi 2.17 he says, you have wearied the Lord with your words. How have we wearied him, you ask? By saying, all who do evil are good in the eyes of the Lord, and he is pleased with them. Or, where is the God of justice? God is like this, this good father who keeps giving instructions to his kids, and they don't listen. And they talk back because they are know-it-alls, right? Can I get an amen? Parents, you get this. I mean, I, I, like, like that, that's what Malachi 2.17 is, is getting to. He is like, you have wearied the Lord because you keep talking back and you keep justifying 
your actions. And parents, you understand, man, that in our human state, man, our kids have the ability to wear us down. I mean, they can just keep going and keep going and keep going and keep going, and they break us. Now, there's a difference in being tired of and being tired from. Listen, God is God. God is all-powerful. He is sovereign. And I'm here to tell you right now, we cannot literally make him weary. We can't do it. Okay? However, he is tired of the constant justification of our actions instead of our complete surrender to him. That, that's what this verse is saying in chapter 2. I'm tired of you justifying your actions. So as we get into a topic on money, what areas of your life do you justify your actions? Or what areas of your life do you justify your omission? My, my not doing. Is the Lord weary of your excuses? Is he weary of your excuses for a lack of surrender? I'm willing to do whatever you ask, Lord, no matter my circumstances. Here's the interesting thing about our text today. It goes straight from justification and how that burdens the Lord, how that makes him weary. And it goes straight to something that I've never realized before in studying what is the most famous text or passage from Malachi. It's one of the few places in the Bible we're told to test the Lord. Right? And, and, and I think we've got to we got to tread lightly when we test the Lord. It, 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 it's very rare. Gideon did it. Uh, Psalms talks a little bit about testing. Uh, and, and then right here. And, and so it's, we got to be careful when it comes to the testing of the Lord. We're going to get to that in just a second. But what's transitioning, this transition piece that goes from us justifying how we weary the Lord to money, in between that is the fact that there is a gospel presentation. For the first time in my recollection, and I've not paid attention to, to the first five verses of chapter 3 leading up to the talk about money. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me. If not, it's right there. Malachi chapter 3, verses 1 through 5. Maybe? Is it? We good? No. Okay. Sorry. Oh, there it is. Okay. <laughs> Malachi 3, 1 through 5. I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before me. Then suddenly the Lord you are seeking will come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant whom you desire will come, says the Lord Almighty. But who can endure the day of his coming? Who can stand when he appears? For he will be like a refiner's fire or a launderer's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. He will purify the Levites and refine them like gold and silver. Then the Lord will have men who will bring offerings in righteousness. And the offerings of Judah and Jerusalem will be acceptable to the Lord as in days gone by, as in former years. So I will come to you and put you on trial. I will be quick to testify against sorcerers, adulterers, and perjurers, against those who defraud laborers of their wages, who oppress the widows and the fatherless, and deprive the foreigners among you of justice. 
But do not fear me, says the Lord Almighty. All right, Malachi announces this coming of the messenger. And he's talking about this guy that named John the Baptizer, who comes to prepare the way for the coming of Jesus. And that's who he's talking about there in, in, in verse 1. In verse 1 says, The Lord you are seeking will come to his temple. Right? Now, now remember the last couple of weeks what we've talked about. We've talked about the people coming out of exile with the responsibility of rebuilding the temple. And last week, this guy by the name of Zerubbabel was like, man, I'm, I'm frustrated. I can't believe this. These people are not listening, and they're not rebuilding the temple to the, to the level and to the quality that you desire, God. And God says, hey, not by might nor by power is this going to happen. You, you're not going to will them to respond, but only by my spirit, says the Lord. And, and, and so finally they get some things back on track. The people are motivated. The temple gets completed. And Malachi says right here that the Messiah, the coming one, the coming messenger is going to come to his temple. Now what's interesting about this is that we know that 70 AD, the temple was completely destroyed no more. And so this points to the fact that Jesus had to come in this time period. From, from when this was written to 70 AD. And so here's what's taking place here, if you want to know. The gospel is being announced 400 plus years in advance. The messenger of the covenant whom you desire. That's what Malachi is saying. You don't know you desire it, but he's coming. And what does it say? He's coming to refine, he's coming to purify, and he's coming to judge. That's exactly what he's doing. So why would God purposely announce to the people that the Messiah is coming, and with him is this new covenant? It's all about Jesus. Why would he tie these things together? I want you to think about this. One of the first teachings of Jesus about money is what? Think about it. Think about your knowledge. Think about what you know of Jesus and his teachings. Sermon on the Mount. Jesus talks about money a couple of times. He says that you cannot serve both God and money cannot serve two masters. You can try all you want, but your allegiance is going to be to money and not God. You must choose which will have the priority in your life. And so one of the disputes that God has with the people is, is how they view and treat money. And so right here before he gets into this talk on money is this presentation of the Messiah who is coming. Because church, we have to make a decision. What's first? What is the priority in our life? Do we view money the same way that God desires we view money? Or do we choose, do we try to serve two masters? So let's get into our text. Malachi chapter 3 verse 6 where we pick up. I, the Lord, do not change. Should be good news to us. 
so you, the descendants of Jacob, are not destroyed. Ever since the time of your ancestors, you have turned away from my decrees and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. But you ask, how are we to return? Will a mere mortal rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how are we robbing you? In tithes and offerings. You are under a curse, your whole nation, because you are robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops, and the vines in your fields will not drop their fruit before it is ripe, says the Lord Almighty. Then all the nations will call you blessed, for yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord Almighty. Now, here's what we got to understand, what we have to be reminded of. Everything that we have is a blood-bought gift from the Lord. It is proof of His grace in our lives. The ability that I have to breathe this morning is a blood-bought gift from God. It is because of God I can breathe. It is because of God I can talk. The clothes on my back, because of God. The ability to work this week paycheck and to earn a paycheck is because of God. Church, you must understand in God's economy and Psalms points to this, everything on this earth belongs to God. And it was purchased by the blood of Jesus Christ. It is a gift from the Lord. That is the gospel that Jesus laid down his life so that we can have the greatest blessing of all, eternal life with him, but that everything we have is his. Everything we have is because of him. Now, I know culturally, man, we don't like to talk about that. Uh-uh. I'm the one out there breaking my back. I'm the one dealing with the annoying customers. I'm, I'm, I'm the one who's, who's having to deal with the, the crazy bosses. I'm the one that whatever, I'm having to do it. It's, it's, it's that my effort that has allowed me to accumulate the stuff I have. You're wrong. It's because of the Lord. He's given you the ability and the minds to do those things. Have you worked hard? Absolutely. Praise the Lord. You got to Genesis, you were created for work. So you're doing what you're supposed to be doing. Everything belongs to the Lord, and that's the mentality that we must have when we approach this subject of money and possessions. You know what he says next? Return to me, and I will return to you. But you ask, how are we to return? Now, now, what happens next is, is interesting to me. He doesn't say go to church more. How are we to return to the how are we to return to you, Lord? Go to church more. That's not what he says. He, he doesn't say, hey, read your Bible more. He doesn't say sing louder. <laughs> he doesn't say volunteer to work in the nursery. We need those. We'd love to have you. He doesn't say volunteer to cut grass. Hey, you need to be showing up at all the things the church is doing. That's not what it says. 
He says, return to me, people who have wandered away. How do we return? Just quit robbing me. Now, now, hopefully none of y'all are like, we don't pass the offering plates anymore, okay? And we're going to talk about giving and how we give here and all that kind of stuff. But hopefully none of y'all, in, in back in your heyday, you weren't like reaching into the offering plate to make change or anything like that. Okay, that's just kind of bad news. That's bad, bad for me, okay? I put a 20 in there, but I really, um, I really only wanted to give 10, so I'm looking for change. It's a little bit deeper than that right there, church. He says, you are under a curse. You're a whole nation because you're up. There's an online giving company. They did a study of 100 churches. It's been done within the, the, the last five years. It's the most recent study on giving. I don't like to do these. I don't like to do this because they, they frustrate me and, and, and they disappoint me. But what they found within 100 churches they tried to do it 25 in the south, 25 in the northwest, 25 in the northeast, 25 in the southwest. Notice we're south, because that's just who we are. It says between 5 and 7% of churchgoers tithe. Right? So it means like this little section over here, y'all are the faith part of the rest of you just wretched. Between 5 and 7% of churchgoers tithe. And if every Christian tithed 10%, if every Christian, of which is tithed, we'll talk about that in a minute. If every church, every, if every Christian tithed, faith organizations in America alone would have an extra $139 billion to do ministry with. I remember back in the 90s, there was a Jesus Place, who, who some of y'all know and have done some things with Jesus Place. It's a, it's a homeless ministry, and it uh, is led by the Vernon family. And, and uh, back in the day, Jim Vernon did, did this study, and it was basically if, if every Christian just in Atlanta, just with, within the Atlanta area code and, and address, if they tithed, they could have completely done away with not just the homeless population in Atlanta, but the entire state of Georgia. Just from now, there, there's other things that go into it. And he, he deals and works with homeless, so that was his that that was his example of what can be accomplished. Five to seven percent of Christians in this day and age are the ones who are giving a tenth of their income. He says, "Return to me. I'm no longer robbing God." See, God knows that money is always a heart issue. Money's not the problem, but it reveals the problem. He says we rob God. How? In our tithes and offerings. Now understand the difference because these two, these are two separate opportunities of our bringing tithes and offerings. I know we, we interchange these sometimes. As a matter of fact, we call ours offering, bring the tithe, and then there's got these offerings over here. Tithe, as we know, is a 10%. That's what it is. Uh, back in the day when it was written, man, you had to tithe everything. So if you're out there and you've got tomato plants, you're gonna give the you're gonna give the first 10% of whatever you have to the Lord. If you're growing, you know, paprika or, or whatever, if you've got chickens and you're laying eggs, whatever. 
you're giving the first 10% of everything. And, and when you really get into the Jewish custom, uh, they would actually give about a total of 20-something percent to the temple. Uh, we've kind of dumbed it down and made it a little bit simple for you in modern day, uh, 10%. That's what a tithe is. And here's the thing, when he talks about tithes and offerings, tithe is the commitment I make to the Lord given to the temple. Okay? And he's going to use the word storehouse here in a minute. But it's, it's the commitment I make to the Lord, give it to the temple, or in our case, the local church. And when you study giving in the New Testament, the giving was done through the local church to support the work of the people doing the stuff. But we're robbing God not just in tithes, but also in offerings. What are offerings? Offerings are gifts given above the tithe. Maybe you support kids with Compassion International. Right? That, that's an offering. And maybe you have given uh, love offerings. We take love offerings for mission trips. We, you, you gave to that. That's, that's above and beyond the tithe. We've done capital campaigns here where, where we've, we've uh, done things for whatever special project might be going on. Right? That's an offering above the tithe. Meeting needs in the community. Is that part of our budget? Absolutely. It is part of our church's budget. But what we meet needs, it, it's above, it's an offering that goes above our tithe. And so there are two separate ways of utilizing money to bring glory to God, tithes and offerings. I remember at one point in time in mine and Amanda's marriage, uh, there, there was a, a period of time where, where the church we were going didn't support missions. And so we just bypassed giving to the church and we gave directly to a missionary. We took our 10% and said, hey, it's going to go over here and fund this missionary. And we didn't give to the church. And I look back on that and I'm thinking, you know what, based on everything I understand, that was wrong. We shouldn't have done it. Was it good? Was, 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 was our heart in the right place? Sure. But the commitment of tithe is to the church, or in our case, <clears throat> The local or to the temple in our case the church so the tithe is a biblical concept that is commanded the offering is a sign of a generous spirit and let me tell you church I've been I've been in the ministry for a long time now 20 something years and, and this congregation has a generous spirit when I tell people the gifts, the things that we've accomplished above our tithe, about what we do, it's, it's incredible the impact that you as a congregation have made, not just in our community, but around the world. Especially when I tell people the size of, of our congregation. So one of the questions that gets asked, and I thought about this in a, kind of a different light, is tithing commanded in the New Testament? The answer to that is uh, no, it's not. Like You're not going to find Tithing. Giving is commanded in the New Testament. Awesome. I'm off the hook. I now don't have to bring 10%. Let me just challenge that thought for a second. Okay. In Jesus' teaching, and in the teaching of, of, of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and the recorded you know, words of Jesus, and then everything else that, that follows with, with Paul and everybody else that wrote, everything from the Old Testament is elevated, isn't it? Murder 
And that's what, the, that's what the Old Testament says. Thou shalt not murder. Okay, well, that's a pretty easy bar to pass. I mean, okay. I, 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 don't, I don't really have the desire to murder people. Uh, but what does Jesus say? I don't have the desire to murder people, okay? But what does Jesus, what does Jesus say? He says, don't even think about it. Don't even let anger creep into your heart. Whoa, now all of a sudden, I'm guilty. What's Jesus doing? He's taking this Old Testament teaching on murder, and he's elevating it. If you really want to be like me, not only are you not going to follow through with murder, you're not even going to think about it. You're going to show self-control. You're going to practice grace. You're going to practice kindness in these moments when you're tested. Oh, what about adultery? Old Testament says, do not commit adultery. Jesus comes along and says, oh yeah, that's a good one. How about this? Don't even look at a person lustfully. You've committed adultery in your heart. Church, everything in the New Testament is elevated over what the Old Testament law is. And I get asked this question, well, if it's not a command in the New Testament, since we're in the New Covenant, I don't actually have to tithe. And the reality is the people who are arguing over whether or not we are to tithe are doing so not from the basis of I want to give more and more and more and I'm limited to the tithe. They, they are, I want to keep more for myself and give less. Here's the thing. If you're struggling with this whole concept of 10% and, and, and you want to give more, God's not going to, he's not going to look bad on that, all right? I promise you. Uh, if, if that's your basis of I don't tithe, it's because it's not commanded, and I really want to give more, you go ahead and see what God does in your life. Here's what the Bible says. Here's what Second Corinthians says. That you should decide in your heart what you will bring to God and what you will keep to live on. He says you should never give out of reluctance or compulsion. So then he says in Malachi, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. Now, I'm going to notice what, what God says here, okay? Now, because I think this is important. He uses the word bring. He says bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. And there's a different attitude or mindset when we understand that we are bringing a tithe to God versus giving a tithe to God. Everything is His. We've already talked about this. Giving implies that we are taking something that is mine, something that is ours, and I'm going to share it with God. Bringing implies that I am taking something that is not mine, and I'm bringing it back to its rightful owner. Does that make sense? If you ask to borrow my truck, Right? And I know some of y'all got camper top envy right now, and y'all are like eyeballing that thing, and you're like, that's a practical guy right there. He's got a truck with a camper top on. Hey, Michael, can I borrow your truck? Well, the answer's going to be no. All right, so just get that. I'll tell you, I'll help you with whatever you need, but you ain't borrowing the truck. All right, I'll, I'll, I'll do whatever. And, and you borrow the truck, let's just go with that hypothetical situation, and, and, and you call me up in the week, you say, hey, man, uh, I'm going to give your truck back to you. I would be like, well, hey, it's about time. Um, did you have a week? Uh, and then I would say, you're, you're not going, and I would think this, I wouldn't say this because I try to be nice and all that kind of stuff. You're not going to give my truck back 
to me. You are going to bring my truck back to me. Because it's my truck. You can't give me something that is mine. We have this conversation with Griffin all the time. He just goes through our house and he borrows stuff that does not belong to him and say, hey, Dad, we'll give this back to you. No, 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 no. You're going to bring it back to me because it was never yours in the first place. That's why he says right here, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. Now, get into the New Testament, the Greek, it does use the word give, okay? And we're not trying to, but there, there's something within the mindset. If I'm giving, I'm giving you something that is mine to you. And what God is saying is, just, just bring what's already mine. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. Then he says this, test me. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty. The best financial advice I can ever give to someone is to test the Lord with money. Right here, that's the best advice. Financial advice you're going to find anywhere in the world, right there. Test me with this. Now, I'd be careful about testing the Lord just with other things. Right? But when it comes to money, when it comes to the allegiance of our heart, he wants us to test him because he knows that what he has to offer is so much better than the stuff we spend our money on. Now, I'll tell you, yesterday, I did a little maintenance on the lawnmower and uh, sharpening blades. I sharpen my own blades. I know I do that. I'll help you out if you need some help. I just need to borrow a grinder because I bought my DeWalt grinder. It's the one with the cord at a, at a pawn shop like, you know, like years ago, like in 2002. Uh, the handles broke off of it, so I got to hold it like this right here. And, 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 and one of the things that I bought, and I only use a grinder to sharpen lawnmower blades twice a year, maybe, maybe not. So the disc that came on it has been on there since the time I bought it. Well, it's finally worn down and I've got to replace it. And I went to look at yesterday, and I'm like, huh, that's interesting. Whoever did this put the, the little grommet thing on backwards. So you, you, you can't, there's nothing to grab this with. Like there's, there, it's just a, it's a smooth surface. You're like, there's nothing to grip this with. Like how in the world am I supposed to take this off? I'm watching YouTube videos. I'm like, man, whoever did this, I did. I bought it at a pawn shop because, you know, I'm thrifty and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> and so what was my response yesterday? I got in the truck, I promise you yesterday, I got in the truck and the flex bolt, 2060 bolt grinder is available at Lowe's. I mean, at Home Depot today. I got in my truck and I'm like, here I am. I'm headed there to do this. And I'm like, oh, no. I've put us on lockdown as a family, and, and I'm like, like, like Stella's missing school supplies right now, and because I've, I've, I've clamped down, I, I just can't go buy something. She's not really going to come I just can't go buy something on, on, on this whim because I want to. Where's my allegiance sometimes? Y'all know, the walk tools, like, attracts my eye big time. And I'm like, I've got to figure out something else. Because what God has to offer is so much better than the stuff we spend our money on. And as we, he says to us, test him in this, do not think for one second that this is a get-rich-quick scheme. Church, that is a false gospel that is preached. It's called the prosperity gospel. You've heard it. And this is a very dangerous gospel to believe. Run 
If, if you ever hear somebody interpreting this scripture, this passage, as you give to the Lord, he's going to just pour out, pour out material things on you. That is the prosperity gospel, and that is dangerous. I mean, quickly, here's what happened. This is the old covenant. That's what, that is what's taking place. And in and under the old covenant, God blessed his people with bountiful crops. Why? So that they would be an example to other nations. The blessing that he gave to them was never intended for the security of the barn owners who would run out of room, the Bible says. The purpose of the blessing for having vats that overflowed was, was never just for your benefit, but to share with other people and to be an attraction to other people that, that we are faithful to our God. And look what he does. God's blessing throughout history to us has always been intended to share and meet the needs of other people. We, you and I, are under the new covenant. Now, that does not mean that when we are faithful givers, God won't bless us financially. I say test him, and I hope he does. And I hope you keep testing him, and I hope you keep being faithful. But under the new covenant, we have received a much greater blessing that, that, that far exceed crops and vats of wine brimming over. We have received the blessing, the assurance of eternal life. In church, if I never receive another material blessing from God in this life, what I have received from the Lord is far better. We give not to get a temporary blessing based on our obedience, but because we have been given eternal blessing based on Christ's obedience. That is why we give. We give in response to what He has already done on the cross. And when we give to God, we should give to Him first, and we should give to Him our best. If you do a budget, if you're one of those weird people, this should be the first line item on the budget. God. Because there's this Bible principle called the principle of first fruits. Proverbs 3, 9, 10 says, Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing, and your backs will brim over with new wine. The Hebrew word here for, for first fruits, I've never studied this before until uh, this week, is bigarum. It, it, it's just trust me, it's what it is. I had to go get help. Bigarum. You know what it means? Promise to come. We see the term first fruits initially mentioned in the book of Exodus when Moses is leading God's people out of captivity. Well, I know Cain and Abel, they demonstrated some stuff, but they just did that. Okay, where it's actually mentioned is actually in Exodus. And God instructed the Israelites to give up the first of their crops so that they could understand the value of God's blessing. Through this, through the first five books of the Bible, Moses brings up the idea of first fruits 13 times, I think. The first fruits of all your crops is a test of faith. I mean, it, it's putting your money, it's putting our money where our mouth is. And that's what it is. Do we really believe that God is first in our lives? Prove it. Prove it with your wallet. 
You know this, your calendar and your wallet are two of the biggest indicators of where God lives. And here's the thing. Here's the thing on this first group stuff. The math never makes sense. Then it doesn't. You can and will do better in this life by trusting God and living off of 90% or if you're really generous, 85% than you will 100%. It doesn't make sense, I know, but it happens time and time and time and time again. I, I don't know a person who has regretted being a faithful tither. I don't know one. God will do things in your life and he will provide in ways that you cannot imagine. It happened to us this past week. I got vehicles breaking left and right, and things happen, and out of nowhere, it's like, oh, boom, bless Wow. When we bring to God in obedience and affection, he gives back to us. He meets our needs. And so, church, if, you, if you're not a first fruit bringer, I encourage you to do two things. When we're done, we're at my break. If you, if you are, man, I, I give leftovers. I give, I give, but I give at the end of the week. I remember, let me just tell you this story. I've shared this story before. When early on in our marriage, this is almost embarrassing because of the day and age. We got married in 1996, October 5th, coming up 27 years. And very early on in our marriage, we were living on Cleveland Highway in Gainesville, Georgia. It was at the end of the week, and we were going to go out to eat. And we were going to go, like, you know, Applebee's, somewhere real fast. Okay? <laughs> then, as we started looking and digging, it was like, well, we'll sell for the dollar menu at Taco Bell. Now, the dollar menu at Taco Bell back then wasn't even a thing because very few things at Taco Bell cost a dollar. And the whole menu was a dollar menu, except for the Mexican pizzas were the best thing on the menu. We couldn't afford that. And, and we were sitting there, and we were like, we can't even go to Taco Bell and buy 69 cent bean burritos. What's wrong with this picture? And we had this like real heart to heart about things are like out of whack here. Like what's the deal? If we can't afford bean burritos at the end of the week, you know what we can't afford on Sunday? Give them something to God. And we made that a priority right then, that God would come first. Has it been smooth sailing ever since? Mostly. Not always. But as we've remained faithful to God, and as we have decided in our heart that we're going to that, that, that we're going to set aside this much of our income and we're going to give it to the Lord and we make that the priority and, and we give to God, He's never not followed through on many needs. So if you are not a first fruits bringer, I encourage you to do two things. First off, test God. Still for 90 days. Just nine, however you can pay, whatever. Bring to him 10% of every paycheck. In Zimbabwe, at the church uh, on Sundays, it's, it's, it's really a moving thing to experience. And as Some of you know what I'm about to say. Uh, half the congregation 
is actually two-thirds of the congregation's high school students. They're at boarding school in a third world country. They're not walking around with a lot of coin in their pocket and catching drift, right? But they have things like snacks, and they have access to things that the school provides. And, and it, it, it's crazy for them to pass the offering plates. And you'll look at the offering plates, and their offering plates got these little things that hang down a little bit. It's crazy to look at because you'll see like all kinds of snacks and different things from the side that the kids, they don't have money, but they're willing to give. And they're willing to give from their own sweet tooth, right? I mean, they, they're giving this stuff, and, and, and it's, it, it's crazy to see. Test God for 90 days. Bring to him 10% of every paycheck, whatever it is that you have. Set it aside first and bring it to him. That's number one. Number two. Now I encourage you, if you're not a first fruits bringer, I want you to find and talk to Christians who live by this principle. And you ask them specifically about the quality of life and the miracles that they have seen as they have trusted God with their first fruits. Because I'm telling you right now, I, I don't know anybody that committed to this that has not seen miracles take place. So what I want you to do. The rest of you, you're giving man, keep on giving on. So how do we respond to this today? Well, it's it's late. It's 1140. Right? <laughs> I understand. Our guys are going to come forward and, and, and they're going to go ahead and just pass communion out. I'm going to ask you to do this. As they pass communion out, I want you to we you hold it, and we're going to take it together in a few minutes. How do we respond? Well, as we go into this time of communion, I want you to think of a couple of things. First off, man, we never we never teach on money, and then take up a special offering. We just we don't do that here. As a matter of fact, um, it came up in our leadership team a few weeks ago that uh, we should start mentioning the offering time and praying in response to God's provision. We, we have literally gone months at this church, in this building, with, with doing nothing more than putting a slide up that says, here's how to give. We won't talk about it. We haven't prayed about it. We, we, we've been very poor in stewarding this opportunity. So the proper way to respond, especially when we're talking about money, is to keep life in a proper perspective. And we do that this morning by remembering what Jesus did for us on the cross. Like, like when I remember the sacrifice, when I remember what he did on the cross, that helps me to remember that, you know what, eternal life and my, the assurance that I have of that is so much better than sharp lawnmower blades and the tools that I want to go buy. But I need a reminding of that. I need, I need that to be brought to my attention more and more, more than just Sunday mornings. That's what Jesus said when you do this, when you gather together. Remember So as you take communion in your hands right there, I want you to listen to this verse. Paul wrote this to the church at Corinth. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. 
For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all died, so in Christ all will be made alive, but each in turn. Christ, the first fruits then, when he comes, those who belong to him. It's funny how we talk about this concept of first fruits. In the very gospel that we believe, Jesus is this first fruit. He is this promise to come. The resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. And that's why we hold these emblems in our hand. That's why we hold this cup of juice. So with this in our hand, let's remember the promise to come. He died on the cross for you. He rose three days later. He is the first fruit of all things. He said, and when you gather together, take this bread and eat it in remembrance of him. And then he took the wine to drink this as a remembrance of the washing away of your sin. Thank you. Father, thank you for your love on the cross. Thank you for Jesus being willing to die. Thank you for the resurrection. Thank you for being the example of first fruits, the promise to come. May we live faithful. Another way to respond is by an offering. We're not going to take up an offering. We're not passing the plates. But we want to tell you about it. On your way out, and I've seen some of you, when you get here, you're so good that you put it in your envelopes and you walk back there before the service even starts. And I'm just, I'm moved every time I see somebody drop something in there without us even reminding you of it. But this is how, these, these are the opportunities that we have to give at, at, at LifeBridge, right? Like there's a little black box back there on your way out you can just drop it in there. If you put your name on the envelope and you put your check, your money, whatever in that thing, hey, they're going to take care of it. They're going to give you some tax credit and all that good stuff for it. How about that? You can give there. Check for cash. Or you can go through our website. There's a nice big give button. I'm pretty sure it's the biggest thing on the website. You can give there, follow the prompts, and, and give through that. Or you can download our very complicated app and do that. Those are the ways to give. If you need help with any of that, let one of our trustees know, and they will do it. Father God, thank you. Thank you for the blessings that you have bestowed upon us. I pray that, Lord, we will be a church that tests this teaching. We've already experienced it, God. In, in our 12 years, what you've done it is incredible through these people. So, Father, I, I pray that we experience that now on an individual level. Thank you for your provision in our lives. We love you and pray these things in your son's name.